Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this week, we will be covering the Spanish Iberdrola, and we will also have a look at some of the games from the FA Cup. Um, I want to welcome to the episode uh, Christian and Kate. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. So um, let's start with the Spanish Iberdrola. They, they're back. The maximum, co maximum competition of the Spanish women's football team is back. Uh, names like Chani Hermoso, Alexia Putellas, Sofia Jacobson, Liki Mertens, Mapi Villas, Silvia Messinger, Anaí Lomba, among many others, will meet again on the pitch after a break of more than six months. The first women's division organized by the uh, Spanish Federation returns, which is... This um, the new this new season brings uh, several changes. Uh, we, we will have a total of 18 teams instead of the 16 the 16 teams that were a part of it last season. Uh, we have uh, Abar and Santa Teresa as the new members after ascending the previous year, and we did not have any relegations uh, last season due to the uh, break. Uh, because of COVID-19. So this year, the competition will take place between the weekend of October 3rd and 4th um, of 2020. And will uh, end in June of 2021. We will have 34 match days being held. Uh, and in addition to those uh, promoted teams, Real Madrid will also um, be making their debut uh, in um, the first league, which... Um, comes from the absorption of uh, Club Deportivo Tacón uh, last summer. Um, so another change in this new season will be the rankings. This year we will have uh, three teams uh, qualifying for the UEFA Women's Champions League instead of only two. Um, and in terms of relegation, there will be four teams that will be demoted uh, at the end of the, of the season. So for the first day of the Spanish Iberdrola, um, we, we will have a very interesting game. Uh, Valdebebas will host the first uh, Real Madrid game and it will be nothing more, nothing less against Barcelona. A match that will face uh, the current champion, Barcelona against a Real Madrid that has not yet competed. As for Atletico de Madrid, uh, second classifier last year, uh, they will travel. They will travel to Barcelona to debut against uh, Espanyol. For their part, uh, Eibar and Santa Teresa will face Betis and Sevilla, respectively. So Logrona versus Levante for this part. Levante, third in the contention in recent seasons, makes their debut in Las Gaunas against uh, Logroño who aspires to be one of the revelations of the season. We will have Olga Garcia, Pamela Tajonar, or Inés Altamira as some of the star incorporations of La Rioja women. The Levante of Maria Pry has lost uh, some talents on Abatie to Manchester United, a Maitane to uh, Real Sociedad, Corredera to Real Madrid, is not far behind, but has also won it, uh, and a lot. Irene Guerrero, Aldana Cometti, Viola Cagliaris, Osandi Toliere are some of the new Granota footballers. So, um, some of the key players left uh, Levante last season, Onabache, as I said, and Iva Andres. Can they replicate last season performances on the pitch? What would be expected, the expected outcome of their first league match? Kate? Um... I mean, yeah, they lost a lot of talent from last season. 
uh, definitely. But I think they brought in a lot, a lot, just a great amount of talent as well. Um, there's, I mean, every team has added new fa- new faces, and um, I'm excited to see, you know, teams like Lagronio and, um, you know, how how they end up playing. And um, but ultimately, I think Levante. I don't think I, I think they will contend for the top three, and I I think the top three get the Champions League spot this year. So, uh, you know, I think they'll definitely be in contention. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's anything particularly to worry about on their end. Uh, you know, they, they got the players to, you know, be able to perform in the league. So uh, I don't see anything really for them to really have to be concerned about. Yeah, let's move on to Spanol versus Athletic. Atletico de Madrid, the runner-up, will visit uh, Ruben Casado's new Espanol. After not winning a game last season, the Parakit team has changed the coaching staff and has been reinforced with players such as Karpova, Marta Turmo or Maya Yamamoto. Uh, Atleti has also done it with Van, de- Van Dongen, Lindal, Nak, Kazadi. And in addition to, to that, the Roger Blanc- Blancas will have the strength of uh, Virginia Torresilla from the outside of the field. We wish them, we wish her, you know, the best. Um, also here in, on the podcast. Uh, so Atlético versus Espanol. Espanol escaped a relegation last season after not winning any of their league matches. Um, are they going to follow the same pattern or can we expect good things from them this season? Um, I mean, it's hard to tell right now. I mean, I would certainly hope, you know, with all the history that Espanol has, that you wouldn't see them go winless again. Um, but Atleti, of course, is, you know, always a contending team. They're always a threatening team. But, however, they do have injuries, you know, to some key players. So uh, I'll be anxious to see how they perform, how these two teams perform against each other in the the first game of the season. Um, I think, you know, this game will kind of determine, uh, honestly, how Atleti, you know, how far they go this season if they fall out of their second, third place. Uh, and the other teams that have added to their squad uh, maybe swallow up the second or third place. So I think this game will, you know, really be a, a great determination of uh, what kind of team we can expect to see from Atleti this season. So, so Atletico have strengthened their their squad, but they are still going to miss some key players, um, such as Carmen Menayo, uh, Edvig Lindahl, and Knack during due, due to injuries for the first few games. So, do you think they they can cope with? Without these players, I think they brought. You know, they they signed a good amount of players. And, you know, um, they signed some good quality players as well. Um, so I'll be anxious to see how uh, they cope with that. I, I mean, like you said, they've lost some very key players. Um, I also noticed that I don't think uh, Angela Sosa is traveling with the team this weekend. So uh, that's something to kind of uh, keep an eye on. Uh, of course, could be one of their key players to play um, on the field. Usually, a starter. So uh, I think um, in terms, I think they they will win this game, but I don't know um, what the rest of the season looks like for them when you come up against the tougher teams like the Barces. You know, Real Madrid's going to be a threat. Uh, you know, these other tougher teams. Do you think they they can really mount to a challenge, a challenge for the title this this year? Uh, I don't. I, I think you know they're always going to have that you know that threat, that little bit of a gutsy kind of play to go for the title. Um, but do I see them really challenging for it this season? Not really. I think uh, we might see a different team really slide into that second place spot, honestly. 
Well, uh, speaking of uh, Angela Souza, uh, look like it looks like she's close to join Real Betis. Uh, there's some of the the transfer rumors uh, at at the moment. Uh, let's see what what happens. Um, I also wanna wanna hear your thoughts and opinions on on Deportivo uh, and Levante. Uh, can they be the third team to earn the, that Champions League spot, or do you think Real Madrid will will, will be there to secure that that spot? Uh, Deportivo, you know, Levante, I think they are, they're two young teams, uh, who will certainly, they're, they're certainly talented as well. So I think they, they can definitely contend for those, you know, those top spots. Uh, honestly, in all respect to Real Madrid, uh, you know, I don't really see them contending maybe for the second or third. I, I can see them finishing high, maybe fourth or fifth. Um, but I think they have a lot to prove this season in terms of, uh, their play and you know uh, their approach to, to the big games. Uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of hype around them, and you know it's good for the league. It's good for them. But uh, do I see them really contending for you know the second, third, even first place spot? Not really. Yeah. So uh, Athletic Club uh, will be taking on Deportivo. Uh, Peke had a very good season last year. Uh, will she be able to continue uh, adding her goals tally and, and make her case more louder with the national team? She was she was called up uh, for this uh, match against Moldova, but she didn't uh, really had uh, that much of an impact on the national team. What do you think she will be uh, doing this season? I, I like her a lot as a player, so I would love to see her continue her run of form uh, into the into this season. Uh, you know. Uh, Deportivo, of course, lost a lot of their, you know, star players in Tere and Noria and, and just a, a bunch of, you know, their talent, youth talent. Um, but they also signed uh, some new uh, young players as well. Uh, but, you know, Peke, I, I mean, I love her a lot as a player. I was disappointed not to see her play, um, get some runs in uh, mm-hmm. in the, the last uh, Spanish national team game. But, um, you know, I think she can definitely continue her run of form. Uh, of course, uh, playing against uh, Athletic Club, it's going to be a tough game uh, to, you know, play out their first match in. But uh, I think it, it, it might be tight, uh, but, you know, it's a tough start, I would say. Mm-hmm. So Athletic has incorporated several uh, youth team players into their first team, which is uh, great news. Um, do you think they can pose the challenge uh, and and get back to, to the top? which they have been missing for the last few seasons. You know, they're, they're going to miss Damaris uh, and Meite as well. Do you think they will, you know, uh, get the job done with, with with what they have now? I mean, you know, I look at Athletic Club, like, you know, in terms of um, their, you know, location in Spain. I think they're like, you know, what Barca is to Catalonia. They're like a vast country. You know, they, they have a terrific Definitely. youth program. Um, so I think the youth players will really come up big for them this season. Um, one of my favorite players for Athletic Club, for example, is Nerea Novato. Uh, mm-hmm. She is a tremendous talent in Spain. Uh, I think she will be, you know, a key, you know, come off the bench sub kind of player. Uh, of course, she got the threat of Lucia Garcia, mm-hmm. uh, who is always, always a, a pain for other teams mm-hmm. and defenses, especially to deal with. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I think their youth talent uh, is really good. Uh, so I, I think I think they'll play a really good key role for them this season. I mean, they'll have to kind of lean on their youth team uh, when you look at who they lost. So. so given the matches we have in store for match day one, 
what do you think uh, we should be we should we should be the ones we we should be looking at more more closely and with um um i would say the the levante lagronio game will be probably like really exciting because you know they've both added some fresh new faces um so i'll be anxious to see how they do uh i think the athletic club deport i, I mean i think yeah athletic club deportivo game will be another exciting one espanol athletic uh athletic will be a tough one to call uh, in terms of mm -hmm. it'll be exciting or not it could be a complete you know one-sided game uh or it could be balanced you never know but i, I think it will kind of swing the way of being maybe more one-sided than anything. Uh, but, you know, certainly some exciting games to start tomorrow. So Real Madrid versus Barcelona, the league champion uh, of the first Iberdrola has to visit Valdebebas on the first day. Real Madrid debuts in the highest category of Spanish women's football against Barca. Undoubtedly, much of the prominence of this first installment of the league will be taken by this meeting. You know, the Los Blancos uh, have recruited national talents such as Misa, Teresa Avelera, Ivan Andres, Corredera, Olga Carmona, Maita Oroz, Marta Cardona. Uh, all of them will try to face the bars of Luis Cortes, who this camp campaign will continue to have the same, you know, structure. Uh, Jenny Hermoso, Alexia Potellas, Patrick Guijaro. Graham Hansen, uh, Lique Martins, Aitana Bonmati, Mapi Leon. Uh, they have been joined by some young, uh, by the young goalkeeper Catacol, who was on loan to Sevilla uh, last season. So this will be the first El Clasico uh, in women's football. How much, uh, how, how excited are you about this, about this game? Uh, I'm excited. I think you know it's a, a nice tune-up, maybe to a, an El Clasico because you never know what what the future is going to look like with the meeting between these two, you know, for the past few years, it's always been, you know, you look at, in terms of the Classico, you always look at the athletic Barca matches. Yeah. They've always been the toughest matches in the league and the closest ones and the most exciting ones, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, so I'm anxious to see how Real Madrid comes out. They'll be home. So they'll have that, you know, that home field advantage, no fans, I don't think. So mm -hmm. always going to play a, a tough, a tough, um, tough draw against Barca. Uh, but I'm anxious to see how they come out because, yes, they have recruited a, a lot of great young talent. Uh, but, you know, you look at Barca, they've kind of kept with uh, what they know. They, mm -hmm. you know, they have the same players basically for the most part. They brought up a lot of their youth talent. So, uh, you know, I, I think that kind of uh, really shows where they are as a club. You know, they're kind of content with what they have right now. And they're just looking to build on uh, last last season, which was remarkable for them. So uh, I think it's too early to call it. I think El Clasico, I mean, on paper, yeah, it's El Clasico. But I think in terms of the result, uh, you know, never know what you're going to get with, with these two teams because, you know, they're two completely – I mean, Real Madrid's completely different than what they are last season in that first meeting. So uh, I, I think it's too early to call it El Clasico, but it'll, it'll certainly be an exciting match. I think there will be a, a lot of uh, emotion involved in terms of those comments that have been made about it being El Clasico. So. So do you think that you know that kind of rivalry that the rivalry already exists, but uh, this kind of you know um, myth that goes around the El Clasico, there's something that the women's game, uh, more specifically, will have to build. You know, we have that on the men's game. Do you think here will be different? It's gonna it's gonna start on Sunday. This new you know tradition of 
us having El Clásico um, in, in, in La Primera Iberdrola. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think in instance with like Real Madrid, you know, it's one of those situations where it has to be earned. You know, you can't yeah. give in the title like El Clasico just because you're Real Madrid. You really have mm-hmm. to go out and earn it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think for the moment, Atleti will hold that title until, I mean, come tomorrow, it could be a really, really exciting match, really tight. And, you know, they might live up to live up to that expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I too early to really call it uh, El Clasico. So... So, what do you think it was the motivation for for Real Madrid to get into the get into the game? So, do you think they were envy of uh, Barcelona's growth uh, in women's football? Uh, do you think that's the reason why they started their own their own team, or do you think there's something else behind this decision? I think, yeah, there's a little bit of envy. Uh, you know, you look at the success that Barca's had in recent years, like their climb um, in Europe, especially, but in Spain in general. I mean they've made huge steps, probably bigger steps than any other club. So, uh, you know, I think they're anxious to kind of get on, in on that. And I think right now is the perfect time to kind of get involved and put them. I think, you know, with the way the women's game in Spain is growing, it's getting, it's exciting. It's an exciting league week in, week out. You get to see talent on display mm-hmm. all around. Like, you know, the, you know, even within the weaker team, but you still see, you know, players shine through on that. Uh, so I think it was the perfect time for them to kind of get into it. And, you know, that comes off the 2019 Women's World Cup, which saw Spain, you know, do what people saw as wonders, but, you know, it's kind of expected when you look mm-hmm. at the, of, uh, how good their youth teams have been at the, you know, at their national teams have been at the youth level. Yep. So uh, I think it comes as no surprise. Uh, I'm surprised it took them this long, honestly, but I think they were just kind of anxious to see how, how, the league grew in terms of, you know, support and, you know, following. And I think this is a, a great time for them to kind of uh, get in, get into the league because I, it's going to make other teams competitive. Like they've already shown that they're going to be competitive with the players they've signed. They want to be competitive. Mm-hmm. So I think if anything, it's just going to make the league a lot more competitive and, and close in terms of, you know, who's going to be battling for those top three spots and, you know, battling for relegation and all that, you know, so. Yeah. So do you think they will be able to suppress that uh, Barca's growth? Will they be able to, you know, match, not right at that level, right right, right away, but uh, will they be able to, you know, to try and do something uh, to show their, their, what, they, what they're worth? Uh, or is, are Barca, is Barca going to show and to demonstrate uh, why they are the leaders and they, they will stay like that, you know, for, at least for this first season? I think, yeah, I think for this season, Barca will definitely be the demonstrators. You know, they'll they'll set the standard like they have before. Uh, but Real Madrid, I, I, I wouldn't see it as any surprise that they were to suppress Barca one day. You know, uh, you can only be on top for so long. Uh, so, uh, and it would be, I think, honestly, as much as, a, as I am as a Barca fan, you know, I think it would be nice to see, you know, other teams really, really put the pressure on teams like Barca and Atleti. So, uh, you know, I think it can definitely happen. Anything can happen on any given day. Uh, and, you know, I think it would only be good for the women's game and the league. So uh, I think it's too early to say, but I think Barca will always, you know, kind of be setting the standard for mm-hmm. how, that, how it's supposed to be handled because they've done mostly everything the right way in terms of, uh, you know, the personnel they've brought in mm-hmm. and, you know, the growth um not only in spain but in europe they've kind of taken the right steps to kind of get where they are 
So, you know, I think in terms of being pioneers, they definitely take on that title uh, for being pioneers of Spanish women's football. Yeah, so Real still has a long way to go, right? You cannot build a team just with, you know, having the money and the resources. Okay, that's important to build, just to start a team, but you need to build a project. You need to build, you know, a long-term um, project. Do you think it, it will take some time for Real Madrid to get there? Yeah, kind of piggybacking off what you said, it, it takes, you know, results. The results are going to be a huge thing. Uh, you know, you take a, a loyal fan base and, you know, lot, like money isn't going to give you everything. Uh, you know, you can buy all the players you want uh, and, you know, all the best players in the world. But if they're really not willing to contribute to the long-term success and the project and mm -hmm. um, basically the common goal and, you know, they might play a season or two and then leave then you're not really going to get anywhere. You're just going to have to keep restarting and restarting. Where you look at Barca, players have really bought into the long-term goal and the project, and they want to stay there, and they want to continue to stay there and stay there. So I think if Real Madrid can get players like that and start building a project around players that actually want to contribute to the long-term goal, then for sure they can definitely be in contention. Yeah. Absolutely. About Barca season, uh, do you think Barcelona should be worried about the number of matches uh, they are going to play? Um, they will be playing more than 45 matches this season across all competitions. Uh, it, may, it, may, it, may, it may even go a bit higher if they qualify for the final stages of the, of the Champions League. Do you think that will be an issue for Barcelona? I mean, any any season where you have to play a lot more games, uh, I mean, it's, it's nice. It shows a lot. Uh, it says a lot about your team. And, of course, you're honored to be playing that much. But I think in terms of, you know, you have to look at things that are ine inevitable in a season like injuries, you know, illness and different things. And, uh, you know, they probably aren't maybe too, uh, I guess, fond of that. Uh, prospect, but I think, you know, if anything, they'll go out and they'll play their game. Uh, you know, they have the resources to recover, uh, you know, kind of what we've been talking about, you know, they've, they've done everything kind of the right way in terms of, you know, the facilities they have, uh, you know, they have access to so many different things to, you know, nutritionists and nutritionists and things like that, that can really help them in the long run. So I think in terms of uh, playing 45 games, maybe not the most ideal situation, but I don't think you'll get any complaints from the players on that. Uh, I think, you know, like I said, they'll, they'll go out and play and they'll, they'll show their stuff. And I, I think, you know, last season they played quite a bit as well, even though the season was cut in half, basic, well, not even in half, you know, they only played 21 games. So, uh, but even then they were playing, you know, three, three games a week maybe. And then, you know, Majority of the Barca players, uh, not a majority, but, you know, eight eight to nine players usually are on the national team squad and they have to go to the national team camps. So, I mean, they, they constantly play. So I think they're pretty prepared for that aspect, for sure. So uh, Barcelona will play against uh, Real Madrid on Sunday and then they will be playing against uh, Sevilla uh, during the week for the semifinals of the Queen's Cup, uh, La Copa de la Reina. Um, do you think uh, Luis Cortes should you know, uh, consider uh, that uh, situation when selecting the starting 11 against uh, uh, Real Madrid? I think it's going to come in terms of uh, he might start his, you know, what he's planning on going with as his starting lineup against Real Madrid. And then in the midst of a game, if it's one-sided, you know, they're winning or whatever, you know, there's going to be personnel changes. 
but you know, looking at the Queen's Cup, you know, that's a that's a game they're gonna want to win. And you know, Sevilla isn't uh, a, a team you can really walk all over. In in my in my opinion, and especially with the players they brought in, you know, they brought in two Barca players. So uh, you know, I don't think that's a game to kind of be overlooked in a sense. Uh, but I think in terms of you know, it's gonna come with the with as the game goes on. Like if they're if there's players tired, you know, you start thinking about the Sevilla game. I mean, yeah, it's 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 one of those instances where you you can't really pick one way or the other. I think uh, he'll go with his ideal squad for sure um, for the Real Madrid game because it is the Real Madrid game is the first game of the season. Uh, they're going to want maximum points, so um, it's. I think it's too early to say what he'll do. Uh, I think it'll be kind of a, a game time decision. So uh, some final uh, thoughts about Real Madrid. Uh, they have strengthened uh, their squad during this transfer window. Uh, what should be their realistic expectations for this first season? And who do you think are the players to look out for? Um, Their expectations, I think, you know, within their, their reach are, you know, they can definitely, I think, finish in the top five um, and, you know, really put pressure on those top teams. Um, But do I think for them the most important thing is that they just get better. They improve off of last season like any other team wants to do. Uh, they just want to improve and you know you know just compete with you know the, especially the top teams because that's why they've kind of set out to do this. Um, you would expect them to have better performances of maybe against the the bottom of the table as well. Um, but for um, players to look out for, I, I think. You know, Marta Cardona, uh, Teresa, Teresa uh, Mete. Uh, I think there's um, a lot of a lot of talent that they've added. Um, but I, I think certainly their midfield and their offensive side of the game will be their their strong point. Uh, you know, I, I like Ivana Andres. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, they've signed some really good players. I, but I think uh, more of their more of their talent swings the way of the offense. So, I mean, I think they'll be, they'll be good up top and in the midfield for sure. So uh, Real Sociedad will not be playing uh, in this first uh, week of uh, the Primera Iberdrola since Rayo uh, returned to training very early in September. Um, so we'll we'll have that game postponed. Uh, now let, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the younger players. Uh, who do you think are the younger play, the young players that we should be you know paying attention attention to? Um, and do you think it will make more much more of an impact uh, in this season? For for Real Sociedad, uh, everyone, everyone in general, everyone yeah. in general. Um, You know, I think you look at the the Barca players that have left on loan. They'll be looking to get quality minutes. So you have, you know, uh, Claudia. Um, you got Carla. Oh, and um, Candela. Mm -hmm. I think those players will definitely need those uh, those first team minutes. I know Candela right now is hurt for Valencia, so not maybe the most ideal start to the season that she would have hoped for. Um, but I think once she's back healthy, she'll definitely be one of those players that's continuing to be in the starting lineup every week because uh, she's certainly a, a talented player and she's shown that for Barca. 
Um, but in terms of, you know, the Carla and uh, Claudia uh, front, you know, there are also two other talented players that really need those first team minutes. And, uh, you know, they're on a, they're with a team that will kind of, you know, maybe contend for the middle of the table. Uh, but I think with their help, you know, they, they could even push further than that. Um, but I think, you know, they're, they're on a, a good, young, talented team. But, you know, with youth, you know, there's, you know, you can't really contend for the top of the table half the time. I mean, but, you know, you look at Deportivo last season and they were a young team that was just promoted and they made that tremendous run in the in the league last season. So, I mean, anything's possible. I, but I so I think, you know, looking at the Barca front with, the, the youth they've kind of sent away on loan to get those quality first team minutes. Uh, those are certainly three players to look out for. Um, you know, you got uh, Tere with Real Madrid. Um, she is always, you know, someone to watch week in, week out. Uh, she shows up so well for any team she plays for. Um, you know, I, I kind of going back to Athletic Club, uh, Nerea uh, Novato, she is a, another player I would say to watch as well. Um, you know, I think she kind of flies under the radar because she is one of the younger players and, um, you know, she had, this will be her first season with the first team she's been playing on the B team Mm -hmm. for the past few years. So, uh, you know, she's kind of flown under the radar, but I think anyone in Spain that knows her really well, uh, would certainly say probably agree with me. Um, so I, I think you, there's too many. In, in terms of young players to look out for, I think there's too many of them because uh, I think that's just the way that the, the way their youth program uh, in Spain is, you know, there's, there's constantly talent out there to watch. Um, and, you know, it, I think in a, in a biased way, I think Barca has a, a majority of a lot of the, the youth talent. Um, yeah. So, you know, with uh, Bruna and Jana, like, getting uh getting called up to the first team i think i mean it, it just swings the way of barca at times but i mean all around all around in spain you know there's a lot of really good youth talent and um they'll certainly have their shot to to shine this season i'm, I'm glad the season's going forward and it's finally starting so and it it's gonna it's gonna be important for them to play and to stay there right do you th- what what are your thoughts about you know all that uh, spanish talent leaving the country to go to go abroad what do you think it's it, it's the issue with this uh with this situation um you know i don't think those training clauses should have really ever happened especially with players that weren't even you know their player like they weren't even gro- homegrown players at those clubs you know they were mm-hmm. a lot of them came from elsewhere so uh you know it was a sad thing to have to happen, you know, um, but I think it's important that, you know, those players are getting to play somewhere. And, you know, I mean, I think, you know, going to play abroad, and especially in the FAW solo, mm-hmm. it's not a bad place to go and play. Um, it's a different style of play than what you see in the Spanish league. That's for certain, yeah. but um, it's certainly not a bad thing. At least they're playing and, you know, they're playing quality um, minutes as well. Uh, not that they were before at their previous clubs, but you know they're they're getting something new that they can bring to their game and add it when they get called up to the national team and everything. Um, and when they, if and when they come back to the to the Spanish league, 
So uh, I, I don't think it was necessarily a, a bad thing. It's just an unfortunate situation that they ended up in because I think had it not happened, they would still be playing in Spain. Um, but it's certainly exciting to see them doing so well, um, you know, in England and um, and everything. So, uh, you know, it's it was a bad thing for, I guess, the, the youth um, side of things in Spain. But uh, I think a majority of the Spain talent has remained in, mm-hmm. in Spain. So that's nice to see. Uh, but yeah, it was unfortunate to see players like Ona and, you know, Damaris have to leave. So do you think the, the Spanish league will ever, you know, get to the level of, um, of leagues such as the English one? Do you think they they will be able to, you know, get to that level of, uh, you know, um, popularity where players will be coming to play in Spain, you know, just because the league is so good and so, uh, welcoming to, to to the quality players um for sure yeah i mean i think they already have you know the homegrown you know spanish talent and mm-hmm. now they're starting to attract yeah. uh the international players i think barca was like one of the first you know teams to do that when uh after the 2017 euros where they brought in lika martins tony dogan and then mm-hmm. um you know it's continued to build with the signing of carl gram hansen mm-hmm. um it's uh it's the growth in that their terms of international attraction is tremendous. And I, I think there'd be a lot of other players that you could ask around the world that would be like, Oh yeah, I want to play for Barca. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think other teams are doing that as well. You know, Atleti has done it. Um, you know, Real Madrid is doing it. So I think the more and more uh, these international talents actually see the project that is going on, not only with just the top three teams, uh, well, you know, like, uh, well, the top two teams and, you know, Real Madrid, Uh, who just started their project, I, I think, you know, you look at the other teams in the league, if they're able to buy into the the goals that those teams have set out, um, you'll certainly see more um, international players come and play in Spain uh, because, you know, they're showing in, in Europe as well that they contend, contend with the, you know, Lyon and, you know, Wolfsburg and teams like that. So I think teams like Barca are, are super important to the league because if, if Barca is doing well, In, in Europe or athletes doing well in Europe or whatever, whoever is representing the Spanish league in Europe, if those teams are doing well and, you know, getting far in the, in the tournament and the competition, then the attraction will certainly start to rise for, you know, other players internationally to come and play. So now I want to know your predictions. So first of all, who do you think it will be the champion Uh, of the Spanish uh, league this season and the top three teams, uh, do you think they it will they will be? Uh, I think Barca will definitely win the league again. I think it'll be a lot tougher this year um, than it was um, last year. You know, they 19 wins, two draws. Um, you know, I think they'll certainly build off of last season, uh, but inevitably will end up as champions. I think it's hard to pass up on them not being champions and saying that. Uh, but I think it will be a tougher, tougher go this season. Um, uh, so definitely them as champions. Top three, I can see Barca. Uh, and I would like to argue that Atleti will show up and mm-hmm. end up in second. Um, third, it's, it's, I kind of have a toss up between teams like Levante. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, Real Sociedad can sl- slide in there. Betis. Yeah. Um, Athletic Club, I think there's plenty of teams. I, I think that's going to be like the toughest spot to compete for this season is that third place spot. 
Um, Cause I think so many teams this year can really go for it. So. It will definitely be an exciting season for sure. Yeah. We will be, you know, paying attention to that. So let's move on to the FA Cup. Uh, last week, last weekend, we had uh, Arsenal against uh, Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspurs. Uh, we had a, another another victory for Arsenal. Um, let's just go a bit about that game, Christian. I know you have some some thoughts about that game. Um, most importantly, <laughs> what you told what you told me, you know, earlier about how it was turned into the Alex Morgan show. Um, I want to hear your thoughts about that game, you know, a little bit about, about the game it, in itself and also about that, that issue. Um, yeah. Uh, let's start off the, start off with the Alex Morgan show or whatever. <laughs> Propaganda. Um, she almost got more TV time than the game itself. Uh, uh, well, no, uh, but she did. She, she was obviously the, the main, uh, a big focus on her, um, throughout the game, everyone asking if she she was going to make her debut, which she didn't. Uh, but yeah, um, just a lot of TV time for doing nothing, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, as for the game, um, I got to give credit credit to Spurs. Uh, they did really well in shutting out Arsenal and limiting their their attack. Um, this wasn't a 4-0 game at all. The result was very flat, flattering for Spurs. Um, uh, so for 70 minutes, they they really shut shut out Arsenal and and had a very solid performance, even though they didn't really threaten much themselves. But mm-hmm. they they were very solid defensively, and then they they just sort of gave away two goals. Uh, around the seventieth minute, and after that, they they just seemed to to give up and kind of collapsed a little bit, conceding two more, and causing the result to be a lot worse than it realis- realistically should have been. Uh, it also has to be said that Arsenal kind of looked a bit lit- a little bit tired toward, uh, in this game. I don't know. I think they showed, yeah. I think they showed that a lot, and defensively, I would say, um, I think they they struggled a bit. Not you know during the whole game, but again, they gave a lot of space to to Tottenham, and Tottenham had a lot of chances to 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 score. Um, I'm just coming to my mind that that chance by Alana Kennedy. She she was for me one of the best for for Tottenham. Uh, I think you know there's something. Not working very well defensively for Arsenal. Not that they are conceding goals, so that's but they not... just look vulnerable. Right? Exactly, so. yeah. It's not the issue of conceding, although they they have been conceding, you know, one goal at least per per match. But I think, yeah, they sometimes they seem a little bit nervous, and the way they always have to uh, put the ball to to um, Zinsberger. That for me shows a bit of how much they, how much nervous they are sometimes to to hold the ball, to hold possession. They don't really know what to do, what to do with with the ball. I don't know. Let's see what let's see how how, how Arsenal is going to to react to, to this. Um, but 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 Tottenham definitely had some some opportunities, and this could have could have you know um, 
gone very differently. Um, so Leicester against Manchester City, uh, City easy win. Brighton against oh, uh, it wasn't that easy. Was yeah, it? easy, easy on the paper. You know the, the the final result. Yeah, do you think Leicester? You know, City. We have we have talked about that in on uh, some of the other episodes. Manchester City has have uh, has some issues, you know, while uh, attacking. Um, but do you think the fact that they faced a second tire uh, team, you know, helped them in some kind of way, or do you think Leicester was able to, you know, hold them back for for a while? Well, um, I think Leicester did did manage to hold City back, like. The, the city of, we spoke about this last podcast that this might be the game that City start flourishing and putting a lot of goals past past someone uh, since Leicester is in, in the championship and City are one of the top teams in the WSL uh, but that wasn't the case uh, uh, it's difficult to say really but City just seem a little still a little bit out of sync uh, especially in this game, like their their attacking play isn't like as fluid and and lethal as it as it as it could can be, mm. and they they really lack uh, or really they, they kind of lack a goal scorer. Like you have Alan White, but she is over thirty. She's like thirty two, I think, and and she gets on with injuries and her age and. Neither of Georgia Stanway or Chloe Kelly, even though Kelly scored nine goals last season for Everton, are are, are outright number nines, which kind of guarantees goals. So, well, so yeah, I don't know. They they made it through, with, which was the <laughs> yeah. important thing, but without really impressing at all. The Brighton and and Birmingham for me was the you know most exciting game. They they went to penalties. Uh, Birmingham ended up, you know, winning the game. Uh, then we had uh, Everton against Chelsea. You know, for many this was a surprise. Uh, not for everyone. Um, so where do where do you where do you think Chelsea lose lose lost the match against um, against Everton? Um, so yeah, this was an interesting game. Um... You you kind of expected Chelsea to win, but you knew Everton would would make it difficult and give their give them a proper game, at least, and they obviously ended up winning. Um, this game very uh, this game re- really reminded me of the uh, Manchester United versus versus Chelsea game in the first uh, game week of the WSL, in that uh, Everton. As Manchester United did, they 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 really like denied Chelsea the space and uh, kind of shut them out a bit. That was their main focus and trying to to exploit their defense on the counter, for example, or when they got the chance. Um, and Chelsea, they they just weren't efficient or clinical enough at all. Uh, Especially in the first ten minutes, where you where they obviously scored after four minutes, and then they also had uh, a lot of other chances which they could have scored. Uh, but after that, Everton really like got into the game, settled down, and got control of the ball more. They looked more com- 
comfortable and confident on the ball, managed to hold the ball very well and go forward. Uh, whilst Chelsea kind of continued their play, uh, creating some, some, I'd say a lot of chances because Sandy McIver uh, uh, in goal for Everton had a, had a blinder of a game. Um, so yeah, and yeah, I'm not sure like where Chelsea did lose the game. It, mm-hmm. I just think they can blame themselves for not uh, putting their chances away, really. And credit to Everton for for doing well. Yeah, definitely. But do you think that Chelsea, you know, is struggling with finding the right um, formation and the right starting eleven? Do you think you know the the Emma is starting Sam Kerr and Pernil Harder together. Do you think they can play along each other? Or do you think there's something has to change uh, in the way Chelsea is playing? Well, on paper, they kind of should manage to play together as Sam Kerr is the more like number nine, whilst Pernil is, is kind of more of a number 10 uh, mm-hmm. offensive minded midfielder or number 10. Yeah. yeah. So in reality, they should work well i'm not like sure why they like haven't seemed to work work so far mm-hmm. i don't know maybe like emma hayes is, is is struggling to like find the the correct combination uh, or maybe she kind of feels forced to play with both of them since they mm-hmm. are uh, superstars uh, and they cost a lot of money and so and so on but rather than like looking at it from a tactical point of view yeah, uh, perspective and like picked like the actual actual best uh, best yeah. uh, eleven. But I I don't know. It, it's hard to tell really. But I think like Charles, they are still like trying to find their way a bit. But they they will grow in as the season progresses, and you you'll see their their quality. This was just kind of a, mm-hmm. a blip. And do you think they they should have strengthened? Their their defensive line during the transfer window instead of you know bolstering the attack because they have a lot of solutions uh, attack, attacking solutions but you know defensively they might be struggling with what they have. What do you think? Mm, they could have, but at the same time they do also have depth and possibilities in defense. Like Mag- their captain Magdalena Eriksson was out for this game with a knock, and Hayes chose to start. Jessica Carter as a centre back. Yeah, uh, I, I'm co- I'm kind of questioning that this decision really because she isn't really a centre back. She's a full back, isn't she? So um, yeah, I kind of not the same. Found, found that that a little bit weird. Not that she had a, a really poor game, but not, or not that she had a poor game. But you play her out of position mm-hmm. and did have uh, misplaced uh, that pass before. Uh, Everton's first goal, yeah, um, or gave away the ball in their own own, own half. Um, so I wouldn't say they needed to strengthen, but maybe Hayes kind of got her her defensive setup a little bit like wrong this time, as I I kind of feel like you could put Marn Miel that centre back and then play, maybe play Jessica Carter at right back or mm-hmm. or or Neem Charles or whatever, yeah. Um, I just, I just think like there the, there was a better solution than to play Jessica Carter there. Uh, the defense looked, they kind of looked a bit disorganized. Like Eriksson is their captain, and she's very like 
seems seems very important to to their defense in terms of commanding and organizing it. Um, and they kind of missed that without her, which is a it it which kind of showed at times. But I I, I think like Mjelde could have done that job too since she's she's Norway's captain, so she kind of knows knows that role too and has that role for the Norwegian national team so I just think like she could have started at center back instead of Carter So um, on the first uh, semi-final Everton against Birmingham Everton you know an easy win I would say Um, are you surprised with Everton uh, you know um, Everton with Everton in those two games specifically the, the FA Cup games and do you think they will be able to do something uh, great uh, in the FA Cup final um, I'm not like surprised about Everton as I really think they have something very exciting and very exciting going on they have brought in a lot of quality players and having Issy Christensen and Haley Rasso mm-hmm. coming in in January without really playing but playing now is seems to be very important for them. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, um, I'm not surprised about them doing well. But like, I don't. I'm not like they in this game, for example, against Birmingham. They they didn't really look that good, uh, to be honest. Like they did uh, the job. And they did the job. Yeah, like they, they had a professional performance, but yeah, they, yeah. they didn't like blow me away with anything. Right. They won maybe because Birmingham they didn't really have anything going forward, and and as well they played 120 minutes, yeah, uh, like three days before, with and they didn't rotate before this game. Not that they like had the squad to do so, but that really showed as well. So it kind of. Everything was kind of set up for Everton to to go through, yeah. um, um, but not, not they not taking anything away from them. But they they didn't look good, good in this game, and they just did their job. Yeah. So um, yesterday we had the uh, the other semi final match between uh, Manchester City and Arsenal. City won two one. Um, did Arsenal miss out on the FA Cup trophy, which was you know theirs for the taking, uh, as they have won it uh, a record number of times? Do you think? What do you think it went wrong for Arsenal yesterday? Um, I think it's wrong to say that they the, the trophy was there theirs for the taking. As I, I don't think I don't that was probably like, a self made and a self made proclamation by Arsenal, probably you know. Yeah, maybe. Um, no, no trophy is, <laughs> yeah. is, is is for the taking for Obviously. any team. Yeah, um, you have to fight for it. Um, um, this game, I, I'm not really sure. Like they 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 weren't in the game at all. Like City just outplayed them and outrun them and. And they were just a better team. Uh, questioning Montemurro's tactics for this yeah. game as well. He, he, he seems to have a tendency to just uh, to kind of have the wrong tactics for these big big games, and and this game was no exception for that. Um, yeah, ultimately not- the, the the managers 
the manager is the one who makes the decision. So do you think that the team, you know, has this kind of performances against uh, bigger, bigger clubs, bigger teams because of the kind of tactics that Joe, you know, decides to, to take in for that game? Because he always seems to, you know, change something uh, if Arsenal plays, you know, City or Chelsea. We saw what happened um, in the beginning of the year against Chelsea. He made the same mistake again yesterday. Um, do you think it's becoming more of a trend for Joe Montemuro to do these kind of things? Yeah, maybe. He seems, well, he's obviously a good manager or otherwise he wouldn't have been coaching Arsenal. Uh, but it, it kind of just seems that he gets it wrong. Uh, maybe it's like too stubborn to play his own style and systems instead of like more um, looking at the opponents and adjusting to, to what they they're coming coming with and maybe that's his downfall I, I, i'm not sure but but yesterday against city they not playing a proper defensive midfielder uh, and also that daniel van der donk mark sam Uis, mm-hmm. it, it it was just it just looked very poor really and it it, it obviously didn't work out as i, I thought like Manchester City's midfield just completely overrun Arsenal's like throughout the whole game. So Arsenal should definitely play with a defensive midfielder. Yeah, um, I I thought like Leo Walty should have started or Marlin Gut or just just more of a defensive midfielder like playing Van der Donk and Little in a double pivot or whatever he did. Uh, just, Just didn't work out at all. Yeah. What about uh, Vivienne Miedema? She didn't seem to look, you know, to be very involved uh, in Arsenal's game. Do you think Arsenal's attack is one-dimensional with, uh, with her? With her? Do you think you know Arsenal needed to have a backup striker or someone else uh, for that position? Do you think there's the la- this lack of competition within the squad, or do you think it's it's enough and? We should blame, you know, the tactics uh, of the manager in this in this case. Well, the thing about Miedema is obviously one of the best strikers in 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 the world, and there's no doubt about that. Um, and the thing about her, like a lot of people have said that she she always goes missing in these big games, uh, but I feel that's a bit harsh since month. At the same time, Montemurro seems to get his tactics wrong and tactics yeah. wrong in the in the big games as well. So it, it, it's maybe down to that. Uh, and she also has a tendency to like when she doesn't get involved, she she drops deeper or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. deep to, to like try to get involved. But yeah, um, and she's good. Really. And she's good doing that. She's actually yeah. She obviously good. is good yeah. at but doing that. She, but then she's you know missing at that you know, crucial place of the field that when she, yeah, you, where she you, needs to be to, to finish the, the play. So she, she is, she's good at, you know, going, going deeper to get the ball and start, you know, the, the, the play or whatever, but then someone's missing at the right spot. Yeah. I mean, you want, Jill, you want her in front of goal. Yeah. Jill Wood has been doing that for her, but since Jill Wood is not there, we probably see that, that that lack of you know of someone there, it becomes more apparent. Do you think so? 
Yeah, you could say that. I think that's pretty fair. Like when. In my opinion, I I I I don't like to you know to blame the players. Of course, that if someone has a bad performance, you have to be able to say, okay, you, this player did not play well today or wasn't their their best, whatever. We have to be able to criticize the players, of course, respectively, respectively. Um, but I think I think we should not be blaming just the players. I think you know the coach ultimately is the coach who makes the decision. So if a player, you know. Is not doing their best on the, on the on the field. I think okay, they may have something to do with it, but ultimately we have to go ask the the, the manager why did it, why did he do that? I well, don't know. Yeah, obviously, Miramar didn't have a really bad game against Manchester City, but you you also have to before like when you criticize someone, you also kind of have to look uh, at reasons why she didn't perform uh, tactics, for example, or style of play or whatever she can't she's a striker she she can't like run run back to her own half and defend for example and and like do that uh, that's not her, her her job do you think do you think arsenal is facing yet again that you know that problem with squad depth because we have seen some some injuries and it's early in the season we have like four games uh, already played uh, and we already have a bunch of players uh, injured uh, do you think there there's again that problem of you know Arsenal lacking um, more players for you know a number of positions, or do you think it's too it's too early to to talk about that? Um, well, Arsenal always seem to get a lot of injuries throughout the season. Uh, I don't know why, but it it just always seems to be them. Uh, and and Montemurro has, has said publicly that he he prefers to work with a with a smaller squad. Uh, which, which you kind of can understand as maybe the group gets closer together that way, but mm-hmm. it it also costs him when when these injuries occur, and yeah. you 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 really see that they they are lacking the depth. Like mm-hmm. against City, they didn't have anyone uh, attack any attacking players he could bring on to to really change the game at all. He, he just had defensive players or or, or young players. Mm-hmm. And do you think and do you think that Arsenal should be you know uh, should be promoting more youth players, um, more younger players to to the squad? Because um, you know when you don't have the the capacity to go and sign uh, you know players, you can always look inside and see what you have and what you can work with. Do you think that's one of the of the, of the solutions? For Arsenal, well, I'm not obvious. I'm not an expert on Arsenal. Yeah, just just a thought. Do, but, yeah, yeah. But like in general, I think there's it's 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 good to have a blend of experience and youth, uh, and you also when you have that youth, you have to 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 give them minutes for them to develop. Like you you can you can always, of course, you they can train with the first team and and get experience from that, but they won't reach their potential without playing playing games mm-hmm. uh, so which Joe Montemurro hasn't really given that many youth players minutes at all uh, which he which he I think he, he should be look should look to start doing more yeah uh, but I don't think uh, against Man- 
doing it against Manchester City in an FA Cup semi-final yeah. is, is is the best opportunity for that. Right. But now we will have this, you know, duality. They they faced Manchester City yesterday, and now they they're playing Bristol on Sunday. Um, do you think it's going to be like something extremely different from what what we what we saw yesterday? Um, yeah, you kind of expect expect Arsenal to run over Bristol a bit, or that's that's the fear at least, mm-hmm. like like Chelsea did with nine nil. You, you you kind of see that happening again, uh, and I think that's a good opportunity for for opportunity for him to to give some youth players minutes. Like after sixty minutes, if they're like five nil up, you can give 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 someone thirty minutes, and which I think would be would would be very good for them. Okay, so let's let's now move on to the UEFA awards. Let's bring everyone again to the conversation. Um, you know, uh, the UEFA awards were um, were you know announced uh, yesterday. Uh, some surprises, no. Some more of the same. <laughs> Leon again, uh, you know, uh, dominating the the categories. You know, we had um, uh, the coach, uh, best coach was uh, Jean Luc Vasseur. Um, the goalkeeper was, of course, uh, Lyon's Buhari. Um, defense of the of the year, defender of the year was uh, Wendy Renard. Uh, midfielder of the year was uh, Marojan, uh, and the forward of the year was not a Lyon player, but uh, Pernille Harder. You know, playing for Wolfsburg, of course. Uh, she also won Player of the Year. I want to know what are your thoughts about <laughs> about these awards um, about. This particular, uh, you know, uh, winners, and also we also get the got the idea of how, how people voted for for these awards. I also want to know what you, what what you think about that and some of your opinions on the on the subject. Katie, do um, you want to start? Okay, I'll start. Um, I guess in terms of uh, if it was going to be a surprise, I mean, I don't think uh, UEFA really surprises us in the sense that, you know, they pick, they kind of choose to stay with the teams that might've uh, fared better in the, in the, in the champions league and with Leon winning it, of course, it's going to follow them. So I, I think in terms of, you know, I think year after year, they, they don't surprise us with kind of showing maybe a little bit of bias towards the winners. Mm-hmm. I'm not really looking at the, the whole perspective and picture, I was really surprised. I forget where the rankings ended up with like, but you know, like some of the defenders, like, you know, Irina, Irina Paredes, you know, Mapi Leon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think there's like even Lucy Bronze, I think she had a, a great season as well. And, you know, she wasn't, you know, I think she ended up in like second or third. So, uh, and, you know, like Buhati, you know, I think uh, Endler and Panos had great seasons, you know, and they aren't on a, you know, a, a big, a big powerhouse team, you know, they actually have, you know, defensive troubles and everything where Leon's kind of pretty stacked in the, in the defensive uh, aspect of everything. So I think in terms of, you know, it was no surprise that it was kind of going to go one way. Uh, but I was happy to see harder when the Ford in the player of the year, because I think she was probably the most deserving of it. Um, uh, you know, Miedema, I don't think she was even really in consideration for that. I don't think she, uh, so 
you know, which was another surprise. Yeah. Uh, but I think that was probably the the thing they got spot on was the giving uh, harder the mm-hmm. board of the year. So you mentioned the uh, defender uh, of the year. I have the list in front of me. So Wendy Renard has at 102 points. Lucy Bronze came second with 85 points. Um, and then we have uh, in Irene Paredes uh, in sixth with uh, six points. Uh, Mapi uh, was seventh with five. So um, in 10, we have Caroline Simon. Uh, from Bayern with three points, so there's a, <laughs> it's it's pretty much of a of a great a, a really big gap between uh, the first the first uh, players and the ones who are on the middle of the of the yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm just I'm just looking at the defend defend defender of the year. I can also well, yeah, uh, it, it's obviously leaning towards the the winning team. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Once you know, again, and, with with midfield, yeah. midfielder, the the difference is not that you know that big. We have Maroshan with uh, 66 points, Alex Pop with 30. Uh, then we have in fourth uh, Kumagai with 17. Um, we have uh, Alexia in uh, seventh with 10 points. But you know, okay, that's again, a bit of a joke. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah. that's the joke. Yeah. Like. I, I'm like I'm okay with with them giving Barosian the midfielder of the year. That that's fine, like no problem with that. But the fact that Alexia Puteas is is seventh, yeah, is a bit yeah. ridiculous. Like she's the the other the midfielder I would have, which uh, I would have as the closest to Barosian. Not but the, like the, seventh. Yeah, the tendency is to give you know. More, you know, the limelight is f- focusing on Leon players because we have one, two, three, four, five Leon players on top seven. So, um, on top of Alexia, we have uh, Cascarino, uh, Majri, and Kumagai, and Sara Bjork, and uh, Maroshan. So, do you think? Yeah. You know, do you think well, that's uh, that's that how just they? Proves, that, just, that just proves that they. They're, they're they're too like one sided and only look at the winning team. To be honest, like yeah, like I don't know what the determination is when picking these <laughs> when picking these awards that they have. Um, but I I would honestly yeah, Marjan I think she fully deserves it. She had a great season and she she's a world class midfielder. Uh, got to hand it to her. Uh, but you know Alexia had herself a great season as well. And the fact that she falls so far down on the list where she should be in second, at least, um, you know, even could it slide into third, but I think it, in terms of the season she had all around, mm-hmm. she's definitely, you know, right up there with Marge on in terms of performance. Uh, so and also, also given the final eight, because she, she did pretty well on those games. Yeah, even, for, even yeah. though Barcelona, you know, lost against against Wolfsburg, she was one of the best. For me, one of the best on a pitch against against Wolfsburg. Yeah, she was. Yeah, and I, I don't think like no, not like criticizing Alex Pop, but I don't think she should have been second. So maybe they just look at they they just have this bias towards the the finalist or, or mm-hmm. and the winning team. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, I don't you know, think I, I like Pop Alex was Pop. that great. And neither in, in not in the final or in the semifinal. Yeah, yeah. So for, for example, it's unfortunate. 
So now I have the list of for the goalkeeper of the year. That one, I think it's the most controversial one. Bohadi with 100 points. And then in second, Christian Andler with 60. Sandra Pagnos in, in third with 39. Your thoughts about this one? Because th I think this one was was the one that, you know, created more, more controversy. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Bohadi, he just has the privilege of having a really good defense in front of her and you know uh, she doesn't typically have to make a lot of great saves um uh you know to me she's kind of one of those players that's kind of hot and cold she'll have a really good game one week and maybe like just be completely out of it the next week and, and maybe kind of be in a rut for a good few games uh where you get like Inler and Panos you know they show up constantly uh for their team big mm -hmm. whenever they're called upon, you know, they have to make a save. They'll make it, um, you know, they're definitely challenged a little bit more. So uh, it was unfortunate. I, I think Inler would have had my vote for first um, and Ponyos really closely behind because they both had outstanding seasons, but I think Inler just tops Ponyos. Yeah. Damn, I agree. I agree. Like, I don't like Buhale winning. It's just, it's kind of hilarious. <laughs> um can I just say one thing about like Panios, for example, like um, go for it, yeah, and the, and the beneficiary of having a good defense in front of her and not having it, like not not that's not saying that Barcelona has a poor, have a poor defense, but yeah. that's kind of their 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 weak area, weakest area on the pitch, and Panios being so 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 far behind this. It's just weird since she has to make a lot more saves yeah. because of Barcelona's defensive vulnerability. Yeah, I think I think this category was the one that where they were like, okay, um, who won? Was was it was it Leon? Okay, so we give we give it to their goalkeeper, and, and yeah. that does not make any sense because okay, they're they're they're, they're the stronger they're stronger team. They were the strongest team uh, in this in this tournament, but you know. In the end, were Buhari's performances, you know, the best ones during the tournament? I don't think so. I, I, I think you know, most people don't don't agree with with this with this with this with this one with this award. Um, so I guess we're done. Thank you so much for your contribution today. It was lovely hearing from you. Uh, we'll be coming back next week with you know, some more comments on the Spanish League, the FAWSL, and the other European leagues. So join us for another episode. Thank you so much. Goodbye.